Welcome to the Region Free Gamers Podcast. Today, we're talking Fire Emblem and its greatest hero, Marth. Or is it Mars? I am Mars. Mars Lowell, heir to the throne of Aresia. The son of King Cornelius? You are truly he? Yes. Welcome, 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 everybody, back to the Region Free Gamers podcast, the podcast that is fluent in gaming. Arnie here, taking over hosting duties alongside, strangely enough, my singular co-host for today, uh, from the Great White North, we the North, uh, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Did you hear that? (laughs) The listeners got a triple welcome at the beginning. That means it's going to be a really special show. I know. Well, here's the thing is we've done this once before uh, for Advance Wars, and I feel like this is now our thing. Like intelligent systems is our thing, because what we're going to be talking about today is Fire Emblem. Yeah, um, it's great. We've got the two least intelligent members of the Region Free Gamers <laughs> podcast talking about intelligent <laughs> systems. It's going to be great. See, this is, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, one thing I do want to say to our listeners before I forget, because I'm not going to forget, I'm going to say it every time, is please, uh, if you're listening to this, go write us a review on iTunes and rate us. It's super important, and I and I can't stress this enough. I know you're out there. I know you're listening. I know how many people <laughs> download this show, and the amount of reviews that we have is not commensurate to that amount of people um so i want to set a goal we have 13 reviews on the north american itunes oh sweet i want it to be 20 i feel like that's a realistic goal and i think if we don't get to 20 by the time we release by the time we record our next episode which is tomorrow i'm going to fire paul what Yes. Oh, dude, I thought you were totally going to be like, it will bring dishonor on my family and I will have to, you know, perhaps do something drastic. I don't even want to say it out loud now that I think about it. I can't lose you, Arnie. We need you for this show. No, I won't fire Paul, but I feel like we need to do something to get the listeners out there and, and reviewing our podcast. Um, but aside from that, all, all that aside, we're going to be talking about Fire Emblem. And... I, I've realized that I kind of, I'm the sort of person that whenever I set out to make one of these episodes, I'm, you know, that person who like eats with their eyes. And then by the time that like they've actually eaten a meal, they feel like dying. Like that's, Man. that's me because I'm like, oh, we should do an episode about Fire Emblem. That'll be great. And then I write an outline of like, 16 games and i'm like this was a terrible idea oh my god what a dude what (laughs) it's it's gonna i was about to say what a shit show but no no it's gonna be a great show trust me like we're we're good to go on this um but yeah like and the worst part is that like i feel like and i don't actually watch when ozzy writes an outline for us but i feel like it's a tight focused effort i know and when you and i write a fire (laughs) emblem outline it takes like five minutes and then we start watching the Fire Emblem anime for like yeah. no reason. 
that's that's actually a more accurate description of my writing process than you yeah. might realize yeah and then and then we get like four hours <laughs> sleep because like the night before we're all like holy shit did you know about this oh my god did you know about this we have to share that yeah and then exactly and so now here we are and we're all like hopped up on caffeine oh my god so i think the i think it's fair to say that the same disclaimer we gave for advanced wars applies here where it's either going to be a great episode or it's going to be an absolute dumpster fire um (laughs) in either case i feel like people will be entertained one way or the other yes exactly right i'm I'm still high because at the time of (laughs) at the time of this recording the raptors the toronto raptors my beloved basketball team went up 3-1 on the hated evil golden state warriors <laughs> and i am i am still like i'm still riding high i couldn't even do it i could barely like get to sleep last night i was so hyped it's it's insane and i mean not to completely date this episode um because by the time of release they may already be champions or they may have suffered the most crushing defeat uh in the history of canadian sports probably probably that that's but- my expectation is that they'll blow the 3-1 lead <laughs> Um, I know you've been so negative about this entire series the entire time. You don't understand, dude. You don't understand what it's like (laughs) growing up as a sports fan in Toronto. It is just crushing defeat after crushing defeat. Anybody listening in like Minnesota understands (laughs) what we're going through. Like I feel bad for the people of Minnesota, for example, right? Yeah. You know, they lose their hockey team and boy, am I ever dating myself. And then you have like crushing Viking defeat after crushing Viking defeat. This is this is Toronto. This is like growing up as a Maple Leaf fan. Yeah. Uh, watching Vince Carter leave and say peace and heading to the net. Like it's oh. just it's just, you know, calamity after calamity. So, yeah, they're up three one. Awesome. You know, let's uh, let's get that crushing defeat out of the way finally yeah. so I can move on with my life and. Get rid of this nasty hope. I don't like this hope that I have. You know, I, it's not not becoming of a Toronto basketball fan. That is true. I will say that I think if they do do it, if they do win, regardless of if it's in, in five, six, seven games, I think that Kawhi Leonard automatically becomes like the greatest Canadian to have ever lived. Yes. Yes. Even though he's not Canadian. <laughs> Even though he's not Canadian. No, he will be. <laughs> he's going to head over to uh, to Ottawa and our dashing prime minister, Justin Trudeau, will will make him like, you know, he'll grab his sword and then touch each shoulder <laughs> and dub him an honorary Canada man. It'll be great. <laughs> what a, what a, what a, um, as I fuck it up, what a nice transition into Fire Emblem. Indeed. Um, indeed. Justin Trudeau's sword. The most Fire medieval emblem. of games. I feel like Justin <laughs> Trudeau's sword is the Fire Emblem of Canada. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Justin Trudeau's sword is perhaps an, uh, the title of an unsavory movie. Um, <laughs> but we're going to like totally go off the rails if I go down that road. Oh, my God. So let's let's just dive right in. Um, so the first thing that I think we wanted to talk about right off the bat is what is Fire Emblem? And at its core... Fire Emblem, much like Advance Wars, is a turn-based uh, strategy RPG. Um, there is much more of a focus on the RPG part of that statement in Fire Emblem, um, but there are specific notable aspects that fans sort of recognize Fire Emblem as a series being built on. So um, one of the biggest is the Weapons Triangle. Um, which is basically how 
Fire Emblem's combat has sort of evolved and is now like the staple of the series. Weapons Triangle, basically, to put it in simplest terms, is a rock, paper, scissors mechanic for weapons that are equipped to your units. So, and I think this is a universal truth for any situation. Lances are better than swords. Swords are better than axes. And axes are better than lance. Dude, Um, I I was walking down the street the other day. And some jabroni came at me with an axe, and I was like, no, bro, I pulled out my sword. And he was like, all right, all right, I get it. And then he backed off. Yeah, people just recognize that as, like, the 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 standard of all weaponry. Absolutely. Um, And, to, and I think in, in specific Fire Emblem games, there's also a similar breakdown in magic. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, magic changes... Um, in different games. Like there's not always the same three types of magic. I know that, uh, the one I remember the most is fire, lightning, wind, and they have their own triangle. Um, that sort of works the same way that the weapons triangle does. The other big, um, at least to me, the other big aspect that makes fire emblem, fire emblem are character relationships. Um, and basically what it does is, you are sort of encouraged to develop relationships between characters in Fire Emblem games. You have optional conversations between characters. And this, I feel like, might be the point where you lose people. Because in some games, there's so many characters to sort of manage and, you know, sort of organize relationships the way you want them to. And I feel like that can be a little bit tedious at times, but it really is a, it's, it's like such a important aspect of the series that I couldn't see the series ever not having it, if that makes sense. It, it makes absolute sense. Like the key to the relationship building in Fire Emblem is that it allows Fire Emblem to have a very large cast of characters. And yet for you to give a shit about all of them, to yes. some degree, right? Yes. Especially when you have the games in the series where you can marry off the characters and they have mm-hmm. kids and then you can recruit the kids to your army, you know, at some point in the game. Like it's a very, very clever way of kind of just harnessing a large cast and not having a bunch of them lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And I completely agree with you because. You know, just like you said, having these conversations and getting to know these characters I, makes you attached to these characters. And in a, in like sort of an evil way, intelligent systems really wants you to be attached to these characters because of the other thing that makes Fire Emblem games stand out, which is permadeath. Um, when your characters die in battle, they are gone forever. And, you know, it's it's such a... I'm sure Fire Emblem wasn't the first game to necessarily do this. They might be. But it's such a Fire Emblem thing. Like, when I think permadeath, I think Fire Emblem. And, you know, it's, it's really um, a testament to how good these games are that this doesn't immediately turn people off from the entire experience. I feel like the first time you lose one of your characters, especially because these characters, like level up and you customize them and you build their relationships like you're really getting into the nitty-gritty with some of these characters so 
later in games when you have a character die because of like a critical hit or because you made a dumb mistake and they're just dead forever it's soul crushing is yeah the only way i can describe it yeah it's brutal um, and you know i think we talked about this with advanced wars too but the thing with these games is the further you go on the larger, more complicated, and harder the battles that you're involved in become. And these can be multi-hour affairs um, to a degree. And so when you have a character die, when you're like, I don't know how long into a battle, the decision about whether you want to turn off the game and reload a save to try and avoid that character dying is really not easy, you know? It, it really yeah. depends on who the character is, how invested you're in them, how much you care about having all of the characters by the end of the game, because that affects the relationships that you're able to make. And in later games, the sort of offspring units that you're able to, to get. Um, but I remember when... I first had a character die because I came into this series after Advance Wars. So the concept of having like each unit being a an, an individual more or less was already like, whoa, this is crazy. But then to have them die and then not come back for the next mission, I was like, what is what is going on? <laughs> what is this game doing to me? I know. Yeah, no, it's and you'll see as we go over the games that they eventually give players the option to play without permadeath. Yeah. I think permadeath is like, I think it's a relic of the era where we had fewer games to play. Mm. And so intelligence systems could afford to be, you know, a little bit more rough with the players yeah. without a better way of, uh, without a better phrase to to come up with, to explain it. You know, mm. we just had fewer options and it was, it was more likely that you'd play a game like fire emblem you know, five, six, seven times because mm -hmm. it might have been the only game that you had, um, you know, because you're getting games like once or twice a year or something like that on, on special occasions. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I do agree with you to an extent that I think it is a, a sort of sign of the times, but I think that it adds weight, you know, it, it, there is stakes attached to all this development and getting attached to these characters that I feel like permadeath is, I don't know, to me specifically, I, I like it in the sense that it it's not just, it gives you something else to sort of be concerned about if the game is maybe not as challenging to you as it would normally be. Like, if you're a veteran of strategy RPGs, like, the risk of permadeath, I think, always keeps people on their toes. Yeah, yeah, I like it as well. It's the same reason that I like roguelikes. I like anything in a game... <laughs> that raises the stakes, yeah. right? When I I want to be afraid of losing, you know what I mean? Because otherwise yeah. you're just kind of like herp-de-derp going through the game and, you know, it's it could be fun, you know, if we don't play games that aren't fun. But something like Permadeath, it, it, it really raises the stakes, gets you kind of a little bit more focused. Mm -hmm. And when the computer crits you, you know, it... <laughs> It just makes you so angry and what other, you know, like what other game can make you that maybe if you're playing online and you've lost 10 times at Street Fighter five, right? Yeah. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, that one moment where you're 90% to hit and your character misses and you're oh, like, yeah. oh my God, yep. you know, it's, it's there, excruciating, but there at is... least you're feeling something. <laughs> yeah. 
there's 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 Fire Emblem Tilt. I've been very tilted by this game multiple times. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> and it's it's just it, it's it's exactly what you said. Like sometimes things just don't work out, even when they when they should, by all rights, have worked out perfectly. Um, and when that happens, like you just you just watch like hours of your life just d- wasting away as your character. <laughs> <laughs> gets destroyed by some rando who should have never killed you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but before like my blood pressure shoots up, uh, I just want to give people a small overview of the series. So those are the things that make Fire Emblem Fire Emblem, in my opinion. Like, obviously, there are other things, but I think these are the biggest ones. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to be saying this a lot. Because this is another strategy RPG developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. So, in my mind, the comparison to Advance Wars is inevitable. Um, but I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum. I will say right now, controversial opinion, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at the end of the episode. I, I prefer Advance Wars. Oh my Fire god, you're, you're fired. <laughs> I prefer Advance Wars to Fire Emblem because Advance Wars has fucking tanks. Um, Fire Emblem <laughs> doesn't have tanks. They've never had tanks, um, and that's unacceptable to me. And the great but, thing about that, nobody can argue with you. I know. Nobody yeah, can exactly. say, well, hey, Arnie, Fire Emblem has tanks too. No, they don't. <laughs> so you I win. Think, I think I, I do love this series, but I think part of me has always been bitter that this was the Intelligent system series that, that lived on while Advance Wars died. And I refuse to blame that on the fact that Advance Wars just stopped being as good as I think it is. <laughs> well, they they each have a different appeal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and we'll get into that as we yeah. go along. Um, but yeah, like I said, Fire Emblem developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo. The first game in the series was actually developed as a Dojin project or Dojin, Dojin project. Yeah, you got that's it. Correct. You got it. <laughs> um <laughs> By series creator Shozu Kaga um, and three other developers. Basically, they were working on it in their spare time. And can I just say, I know we've we've interjected a lot, but can I just say how many video games start off with like, yeah, the first one was just like four people fucking around in their spare time. And then they just created like one of the greatest video games of all time. Oh, my God. Is, is there another medium where that happens? Like is somebody like, yeah, you know. Quentin Tarantino was just like shooting home video and then all of a sudden it was Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, not like, not to the degree <laughs> of Pulp Fiction. I mean, you got indie movies, like you have yeah, Clerks, right? Clerks true. was made by like, you know, a dude and some actors. That's, and it was that's very, a fair point. Yeah, but like, you know, it, it's apples and oranges, right? Because yeah. this is the beginning of an entirely, I shouldn't say new medium, you know, it was still like this video game medium was still in its childlike state, right? Yeah. Yet to kind of grow into what it is now. And yeah. so back then, you know, the development teams were super small and some dude in his spare time could be like, yeah, I'm going to make this game. And then, oh, by the way, it's going to spawn a franchise that sells millions <laughs> of copies in, you know, 30 years. So exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think if there's one thing people could take away from this episode, it's that Fire Emblem is the Clerks of video games. <laughs> if Clerks was like Avatar or something. <laughs> um, wow, these are these are <laughs> not not a stretch at all, Arnie. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so initially developed as a Dojin project, but obviously became like the defining series that it is today, um, consisting of 16 games total. We'll be mentioning all of them. I'll say right off the bat, like 19 minutes into this, we're not going to be talking about the story of most of these games. We're not going to go super in depth on them because that would involve like a 16 hour podcast. Yeah, and- no, this is more about like the series and its ups and downs and yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's a ton of games to get to. Um, I will say Kaga led the development of every game until Thracia 776, which we'll get to later. But why I thought this was interesting was because when you have a creator like that, I feel like a lot of the time they stick with that creation throughout its entire run. Or if they don't, the series sort of suffers in the wake of their departure. I'm thinking like Hideo Kojima, Metal Gear Solid sort of thing. Yeah. But I feel like Fire Emblem is one of those rare cases where I think Kaga's departure did have an effect on the series, but it sort of overcame that and went on to become like, you know, even bigger than what it was when he was at the helm. Yes. Um, but after he left Intelligent Systems, he formed his own studio, uh, Turninog, who developed a game called Tear Ring Saga. The reason I bring this up is because there's a funny story where Tear Ring Saga is a tactical RPG that closely resembles Fire Emblem, surprisingly enough. Um, they were developing to release on the Sony PlayStation. And if you'll remember, like, Sony and Nintendo have always had a rivalry, but I feel like the PlayStation 1 was like the peak of this because the Nintendo PlayStation had fallen through and Sony was now, you know, releasing their own standalone console to directly compete with Nintendo. Um, so while they were developing Tier Ring Saga, the development team was receiving pressure from Nintendo because Nintendo felt that the game's presentation and gameplay along with the art, which I think is the biggest thing here, um, because it was done by Mayumi Hirota, who had done the art for Fire Emblem Thracia 776, sort of infringed on their Fire Emblem copyright. Now, I know our listeners will not be able to see this, but I highly recommend you look up the cover art for Tear Ring Saga. Um, I've included it in our notes, uh, along with the cover art for Fire Emblem Thracia 776. And I just want you to tell me if you think this looks similar at all, Paul. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the same. Right. Like, especially, <laughs> especially the main hero. Like, it's, yes. it is from like down to the hairstyle and yes. the costume and everything. Like, it is the same dude. So, like, I mean, I get it, Nintendo. And especially because, like, this game originally, Tearing Saga, <laughs> I mean, Kaga originally wanted to call it Emblem Saga. Yes. I mean, come on, yes. dude. <laughs> You got to try a little harder than that. You have to try a little bit harder. Like you're basically asking for it at this point. And so, and so Kaga did relent and, you know, changed the name to Tear Ring Saga because he was afraid of litigation from Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And then Nintendo was like, okay, thanks for changing the name. We'll see you in court anyway. (laughs) Exactly. Nintendo did not care. Um, By what I could tell, the game was actually a success and did receive a full translation in 2016, like a full fan translation. So if you're interested in playing it, go do it because it shouldn't be that hard. Um, There was a Japanese-only sequel called Burwitch Saga, which released on the PS2 in 2005. And these were the only two games that Kaga's uh, studio ever developed. 
Kaga then took a hiatus from video games, and we've talked about this before, how people in video games just disappear. But he reemerged in 2016 when he released uh, Vestaria Saga, which is an indie RPG, an indie strategy RPG in the vein of Fire Emblem. Um, so he's still, you know, it seems like he's still doing stuff. And I think Vestaria Saga is just free online. I don't know if there's a translation patch for it, though. But if you're interested, go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So getting into the early years, here's where things become a little weird. Um, Advance Wars had a sort of similar trajectory where a lot of the games came out in Japan before they ever reached anywhere outside of Japan. And it was mostly due to Nintendo not having faith that strategy RPGs would be successful and would sell well. Um, Fire Emblem had a much longer, more circuitous route to actually being released overseas. But, you know, we start off with the first game, Fire Emblem Shadow of Dragon and the Blade of Light, released on the Famicom on April 20th, nice, of 1990 uh, for the Famicom. (laughs) I had to, I just had to, because this is not the only time that they release a game on April 20th in this series. So I feel like they're doing it on purpose to a certain degree. They must just all be stoners. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It was, um, I was actually fascinated by this, so... Uh, Fire Emblem was co-developed by Intelligent Systems and Nintendo R&D1, um, which for those of you who don't know, R&D1 is Nintendo's oldest development team, and they were headed by Gunpei Yokoi. They basically handled a lot of hardware stuff for Nintendo, and they did sort of off, I want to say offbeat versions of like some of their series like they did Super Mario Land, which is the Super Mario Game Boy game, which if you've played it is extremely weird and super cool um yeah. but yeah they did the game boy the virtual boy stuff like that they also did metroid um and super mario land so just a cool little fact that i that i liked i didn't know they were involved in the development of the original fire emblem um development began in 87 when kaga wanted to combine the strategic elements of famicom wars which is the original advanced war series with the characters and story of a role-playing game Kaga's resume is essentially just Fire Emblem games and, like, Tear Ring Saga and its sequel. Yeah. So, the man knows what he's doing. Um, and it's crazy to think, like, this was something he just, like, said one day. is like, I want to take this game that... Because Famicom Wars, to me, is very... Like, Advance Wars is the... Is sort of the yin to Fire Emblem's yang, where Advance Wars' story is, like, not not like involved pretty much at all and you can probably skip the whole thing whereas fire emblem is like the story is the thing yeah absolutely Uh, man so it was it was interesting to see like how that process happened um you know directed by keisuke terasaki (laughs) um (laughs) produced by gunpei yokoi so yokoi was involved in fire emblem for a long time um music composed by yuka shujioko um, she still works with Intelligent Systems, uh, has worked on Fire Emblem, Paper Mario, and some of the Smash Brothers games she's contributed to. This yeah, is the she's first the, appearance. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say, she's the she's like the main force behind the iconic Fire Emblem theme that we all know. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know she, if it was worth interrupting you to say that, but here we are. <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> I think it's um, important that we talk about it. 
Um, I will say first appearance of Marth. So right off the bat, probably the most important Fire Emblem character. Um, initial sales and reception of this game were lackluster. Critically, it was not like liked at all, I don't think, or not as much as you would think. Um, but word of mouth sort of spread, and by the end of the year, it was a commercial success on the year that it released. It is credited with influencing some of Paul's favorite games, like Final Fantasy Tactics, um, and also Tactics Ogre and Disgaea. I can totally see that. I think that... You can't really argue that since it was sort of the originator of this RPG genre, per se. Pretty um, much. But, you know, far-reaching implications. Yeah, it is, like, it, it really is kind of like the OG of the strategy RPG mashup. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, it's brilliant, right? Like, let's take the strategy game, because you have Famicom Wars, but... You know, it's kind of impersonal. You're using uh, military units and so on and so forth. Yeah. But, you know, you throw in RPG-style characters, you throw in that kind of story, and then you throw in, like, an epic theme song. By the way, <laughs> you can you can find, like, vocal arrangements of mm-hmm. the Fire Emblem theme song where there's, like, you know, the serious Japanese man saying, Fire <laughs> Emblem. <laughs> And it's like, it's so, it's so like late eighties. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Amazing. Like I have Um, to be very careful because Nintendo might come after us. (laughs) Might, might sue you. Yeah. If my singing gets too good. So I purposely made it (laughs) crappy. So Nintendo wouldn't come after us. Thank you for sparing us from Nintendo's wrath and you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Bathing the, the listeners in your, in your beautiful voice. I do it for all of you. Um, and you know, really, the following on from the original fire emblem i'm sorry <clears throat> following on from the original fire emblem you see a lot more of the same gameplay mechanics sort of being iterated upon but being refined um the exception is the immediate sequel uh, fire emblem gaiden released in 1992 it was the same team kaga took directing duty for the first time on this game, but it's not a sequel to the first game. It's its own story, and it involves some weird mechanics. It introduced a uh, overworld you can navigate and branching class promotion. That would eventually become part of the series. The overworld, not so much. Um, this received mixed critical reception, but was commercially successful. It's really known as the black sheep of the series. It's the Zelda 2 moment, is how I've heard it described, of yeah. Fire Emblem, which I think is really appropriate. Um, but also, I like Zelda 2, so I, I mean, that, do I know? <laughs> man, that sequel stuff at the time was all like it was borderline epidemic, right? Yeah. Like Simon's Quest, Super yep. Mario 2. Yep. And to be fair, you know, Super Mario 2, there's a whole other story behind that. Yeah. But like a lot of, a lot of weird sequels there. And let me tell you, the word, the word <laughs> Gaiden for, for my entire life up until this week, I have not known the meaning of the word Gaiden. Isn't it like a side story or something? Correct. You, you yeah. step on the punchline, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, we were, it just came up because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're also doing, you know, we're in the middle of doing our research for, um, so because the NBA finals are on now, we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of inspired to do a sports themed, uh, episode yeah. and 
we're, you know, stay tuned. We're going to come up with another episode <laughs> of like weird kind of sports game spinoffs, oh, like yeah. NBA Jam and, and so on and so forth. And as I was researching for that episode, I I happened upon Charles Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden. <laughs> no way. That's not. Dude. That's we'll, not we'll talk. We'll, you and I will talk about that after the show, and then we'll be able to regale our listeners with the amazingness that is Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden. But I'm, I'm like, I'm canceling the Fire Emblem episode. This is now the Charles Barkley <laughs> Shut Up and Jam Gaiden episode. <laughs> so I saw the word Gaiden there, and I'm like, Gaiden yeah. again. And then when Fire Emblem Gaiden came up, I had to I had to actually go online and look it up. And yes, you're right. It is. It is the meaning is side story. So Which, Fire Emblem side story, Charles Barkley shut up and jam side story, <laughs> and see, it really like it really goes back and it makes me like Ninja side story. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I feel like Ninja Gaiden ruined that word for people outside of Japan. A hundred percent because yeah, it makes absolutely. no sense in that context. Yeah, and and you also have like Darius Gaiden, Correct. and I'm like Darius side story. It's yeah. like you're. It's a shoot 'em up with fish. Yep. What could the what think, could the side story be? <laughs> I think that the the way I found out about it was when I first heard of Resident Evil Gaiden on the uh, Game Boy Color. I think. I oh think that's right, called. that's that's the one that made me look it up because I was like Gaiden, like what? Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of these, and I think we'll discuss this on some other episode. But Ninja Gaiden, I think, is responsible for ruining that word. <laughs> Yeah, coming up on the Region Free Gamers podcast, Gaiden Games. <laughs> oh my god, no. Too many. <laughs> um, Anyhow. Um, but yes, uh, Effie Gaiden, side story, uh, you know, it's influential in its own way, as we'll see later on, but we'll save that for later on in the podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, and with that, before we get on into further discussion of the Famicom era games, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. back everybody uh paul just beat me up while we were on break for stepping on his guidance punchline um but i'm back <laughs> i'm doing well <laughs> yeah um, I, I reached through skype and gave arnie at the thrashing of a lifetime yeah <laughs> it was traumatizing <laughs> um but now we're moving on to the super famicom era of fire emblem cue fireworks applause everybody's excited um with the first entry in that series being Fire Emblem Mystery of the Emblem. This game, um, I have a bone to pick with this game because, it, you know what? I'm just going to talk about it. So, it was released <laughs> in, in 1994. Uh, same team. Kaga returned to the designer role with uh, Keisuke Terasaki taking over as director. So, basically the same team they had for the first game. The story of this game is divided into two distinct parts. The first part 
is a remake of the original Fire Emblem game, while the second part is an original story, which is a sequel to the first game. So already, they're making Fire Emblem remakes, and they're three games into the series. But I kind of like it in this case, because it gives players who didn't experience Fire Emblem on the Famicom a way to sort of do that and also play the sequel at the same time. Um, Originally, it was conceived as two separate projects, and then it was merged, which... Thank God. I think that was the right way to play that. Absolutely. Because I can't imagine trying to sell people on buying the original game again and then buying the sequel if, like, you're new to the series. But here's the thing. Obviously, not being Gaiden, the gameplay sort of returned to tactical RPG roots from the first game. So... You know, it's a lot more like the original game, which makes sense because story-wise, it's also a continuation of that game. Um, you know, unit abilities can be influenced through a support system in this game. I believe this was the first game to introduce this. Um, it might have been in the original, but I'm not sure about that. This is the first time I heard about it. Um, yeah. but basically what it does is when two characters in the, in the story have a relationship, and those characters are next to each other on the battlefield. They boost each other's stats. This is... I, we talked about it in the beginning, but this is like a big Fire Emblem thing that only gets more complicated and convoluted from this point on, I think. Yeah, this is basically the birth of the relationship system in the game, which has seen various you know, iterations and yeah. sequels. You know, They kind of do it in different ways. Sometimes you can have kids, sometimes you can't, mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth, but... Basically, it kind of starts here. Yeah. And the other big thing they did is that they lowered the difficulty to encourage new players to try the series. I think this has been an ongoing problem with... I wouldn't say problem. That's too strong of a word. But something that I see get brought up a lot with Fire Emblem is the difficulty. Um, Eventually, they introduce difficulty levels, but it always seems like there's one game that's really hard and then there's one game that's easier and then there's one game that's harder. They, I don't know what it is if they are just like, you know, we're just going to make this game harder or if they just never found like the perfect balance. Um, They're probably just responding to complaints. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This game's too hard. (laughs) Okay. We'll make it easy. Wow. Wow. This game's too easy. Ah, you people don't know what you want. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm sorry. Are you saying that gamers don't know what they want? No, no, I could no. We exactly. That's <laughs> you guys, what I you guys you know said. everything. Yeah, <laughs> because we also have this podcast, so we know everything, Paul. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> oh, I know a few people who would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> my, I will say, my biggest fear in this entire podcasting endeavor is that at some point we'll get a listener who actually knows everything about all these games and starts like furiously commenting on every episode that we're frauds and we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. And then we're just completely exposed. I can't believe it hasn't happened already. (laughs) We're giving people ideas. We're going to have to delete this part. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so here's my bone to pick with this game. This game has never been released outside of Japan and You know, the first half of the series basically just existed in Japan, but a good number of those games have been released um, outside of Japan via remakes now. And the ones that haven't, 
I understand, but this game has had so many releases. There was a DS remake called Fire Emblem New Mystery of the Fire em- of the Emblem in 2010, which is when Fire Emblem was already being released in America, but I think sales were declining at that point and maybe that's why this one didn't get translated. Um there's a it was re-released in 2017 as part of the Japanese Super Nintendo Classic Edition, which I get not having a random Fire Emblem game in the international release of the Super Nintendo Classic, but it's still annoying. Um, and then they also released it on the Wii, Wii U, and 3DS Virtual Console. And Man, none of just those like have... rubbing it in over yes, and over. <laughs> exactly. And none of those, even while Fire Emblem was at the peak of its popularity, this game has never seen release outside of Japan. And that really annoys me because the first game has been remade and re-released outside of Japan and this is the direct sequel to that game. Yeah, it's it's disappointing especially because we had a couple of you know, we had a couple of opportunities where Nintendo could release it. Yeah. It, it's it's hard it's hard to have a bone to pick with them. Like the SNES Classic would have been perfect, yeah. right? A new game to go with your new little mini system. Yep. Um, but and I it's mean, the introduction were... of Fire Emblem, which was yeah, big. But they gave us Star Fox too. That's true. So it's so it's like uh, I can't really you know I can't really take them yeah. to task too much. Now you know what. With that said, we live in an age now where you can download ROMs for these games. Yeah. I don't encourage illegal activity. You know, I'm just saying it's out there. Yeah. And there are fan translations, really good ones. Yeah. Uh for, you know, for uh Mystery of the Emblem. So, that, you know, if you if you really want to play it and you want to stick it to Nintendo because they deprived you. Like <laughs> New Mystery of the Emblem for the DS. Come on, guys. Like the game is already made. You just have to localize it. And yes. at that time, like you're telling me that, you know, 100 plus thousand units sold in North America is not going to cover your costs for localization? That's what I'm saying. That is what uh, I'm saying. I'm not, and, I'm, not a, I'm not a business guy, yeah. but come on. <laughs> Here's the thing. So, you know, the game was received generally well, critically, and sold extremely well from what I can tell. Um, I think up to a certain point, it was the best-selling Fire Emblem game. Um, you know, and for a series that was... Japan only it it was you know it had sold like multiple hundreds of thousands of units um so it did well uh and then this is essentially why I included this game at all aside from the fact that it's a mainline fire emblem game <laughs> it received a two episode OVA adaptation in 1996 um due to poor sales no further episodes were produced outside of these two but it was localized in 97, six years before the first Fire Emblem game released in America or in outside of Japan, this anime was localized. This anime is the first piece of Fire Emblem media to be released outside of Japan. And that's like my favorite fact of this entire episode. It's actually kind of incredible. But it's- I mean, like among among like kind of hardcore gamers and fans, Fire Emblem was a known quality, right? Oh, yeah. So... I can see why AD Vision would want to release Fire Emblem in North America because it does have some name recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, we're both glad that they did because like most mid-90s anime, the dubbing 
hilarious. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. so ridiculous. Um, I will say for all the listeners out there who are interested, which should be every one of you. Oh, yeah. Um, it's fr- the both episodes are freely available on YouTube. Um, just search Fire Emblem anime. You'll find it. Um, but yes, hilarious voice acting. And actually, you know what? I will say as much as I make fun of it, the animation was pretty good for the time, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the story is something that like, had this been a 13 to 26 episode anime, I probably would have watched the entire thing. Um, the only other big fact about this is that Mars Japanese voice actor. Oh, that's the other thing in the American dub. They call him Mars, not Marth. Nice. Which is ama- <laughs> like classic, uh, anime dubbing in the nineties. Um, but his Japanese voice actor went on to voice him in subsequent appearance, uh, read Smash. Um, he's still the voice actor for Marth to this day. Like in Smash nice. Ultimate, he's the voice actor for Marth. So that guy, like that OVA was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. I don't, I know. know. Talk about unexpected <laughs> returns for <laughs> Kept that. Him like, employed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we move on to a little oddity that I just want to touch on very briefly BS Fire Emblem. So BS Fire Emblem is a Fire Emblem game for the Satellaview peripheral. Basically, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, Paul, but it's basically like a peripheral that allowed you to stream or I guess broadcast games to your SNES through a satellite. Um, so there were a few releases for this. Uh, Fire Emblem was one. Zelda had one. I can't remember any of the other ones, but basically is like at certain times of the day, you would turn on your Satellaview and you could stream these games. Um, this Fire Emblem one seems really interesting. It was the first one to have voice acting, which was streamed over the satellite. So future, um, like copies of the game that were recorded onto the re-recordable SNES cartridges don't have the voice acting. That yeah. I think is lost to time or it might have been saved by like recordings that people made of it at the time. Um, but it's an episodic sort of episodic in nature. There were four episodes released between September and October of 97. The gameplay is the same, but instead of like a story that you just follow, it's waves of enemies that get uh, thrown at you for like three hours. And that's basically yeah. what you do for the four episodes. Um, but yeah, so moving on to the next, uh, Super Famicom game is Genealogy of the Holy War. Um, it was released in 96, same team. They're still doing their thing. Kaga's back to direct. Um, this is the last game that was produced by Gunpei Yokoi because sadly he passed away in October of 97. Um, and you know, I think we'll we'll do our own episode on Yokoi at some point. There's so much to talk about, but that was a a big loss at the time for the industry as a whole, I would say. Um here's the interesting thing about Genealogy of War. It's the first Fire Emblem game that takes place over two generations. So, the characters that you control during the first generation, their relationships spawn units, their children for the second generation. Um, and their stats are all affected by which characters you've paired off. I think some characters have story relationships that you can't change, but other than that, you're able to pair off, um, any characters you want and you'll get different results 
for their offspring stats, like depending on which ones you pick, which is really cool and something that we'll talk about later with Awakening. So this is just the origin of that. And I got this quote off of Wikipedia because I found it so fascinating. The quote basically says, the story originally had three acts rather than two. The missing act would have covered the period between the first and second act, which put a more overt focus on the themes of patricide and incest. The reason I find that amazing is because this was a game released on a Nintendo console. I know. I know. (laughs) It's amazing. The story is actually the story for genealogy of the Holy War is is very, you know, epic in scope, especially for that time. And the themes you know the themes are very adult the 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 lines between good and evil are very blurred you know it's not like your typical well you know we'll say final fantasy game where mm-hmm. you have your good guys and you had your bad guys and everything's very clear no it's it's very black and white yeah and uh you know like there's there's danger with nations using holy war as a means to kind of rile up people and and like what what the effects are there yeah um it's huge game too huge game like massive world conflict the maps are bigger yeah uh it's it was really something for the time yeah i mean if you've never played some of these games i like obviously go play them but reading the synopses of the stories of these games is insane like you know, just thinking about this being a game, and people say this, and I find it a little bit in a per- like insulting, but games meant for children, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Even yeah. though I, they weren't exclusively played by children, to have stories like this is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm a game creator at that time, and I have a chance to either work on Fire Emblem or like Barbie Groom and Ride, <laughs> like this is probably what I want to be doing. Just yes. saying. So I, I can see how the industry was starting to mature already at this point. And then, you know, we get stuff like Metal Gear Solid and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then congratulations, you have, you know, an adult, Boom. an adult medium, right? Yep. Um, the other notable thing about Genealogy of the Holy War, mm-hmm. uh, first Fire Emblem game to introduce the weapon triangle that oh, we would yes. see in mm-hmm. later entries. Um you know, everybody by now is familiar with the weapon triangle. You mentioned it earlier in the show. Yep. But yeah, it started with uh, with Genealogy of the Holy War. Yep. Which is insane to think that, like, something so intrinsically tied to the series didn't start to, like, what is this, the fourth entry? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's how, you know, that's how yeah. it was, right? Like, that's there's a lot it, of games. That's and how it goes. People who um, are used to Awakening and having all of these things, like, already in the game... No, it's, it's, you know, it's piecemeal, right? Every yep. game releases kind of a new system or a new quirk or tweak on the existing systems. And uh, that's kind of the theme as we go through the series. Yeah. Um, um, and like we've said for, I'm not going to say it anymore, but there is a fan translation. Go check it out. This one was also never released outside of Japan and obviously has seen Wii, Wii U and 3DS virtual console releases in Japan. I'm tired, Stop it. Paul. Stop I'm tired. it. Move on. Move on. Move on, Ernie. <laughs> okay. Next game, Thracia 776. This one was released for Super Famicom 99. Uh, this one takes place during the events of Genealogy of War, to my understanding. So it's kind of like 
I want to say an interquel. Like it doesn't follow the same characters, but it's set in the same world during the same time period, I believe. Um, this game is notable, and I feel like I've said that for everyone, but this game is notable because this is Kaga's last game before he leaves Intelligent Systems, along with Mayumi Hirota, who had been the character designer for most of these games. Um, this game, this is what I, what I read, is that Kaga's focus shifted to gameplay, unlike genealogy where story was king. So, the story is a lot more tapered off, I would say, than Genealogies is, but it also introduced the fatigue system, which is something that would come back in later entries. Basically, your characters lose energy with each action, so if your characters become fatigued, they won't be, you won't be able to use them in the following chapter. This is when I start to realize that Fire Emblem, what, what seems like a much more simple game on the surface, really has like some deep deep complexity and i think that mechanically this one and genealogy are where those things sort of start start rolling you know what i mean yeah absolutely and thracia 776 great title by the way yes um (laughs) also also known as possibly being the hardest fire emblem game in the entire series or at the very least it's like top three like the game has no mercy. No, yeah. like it sweeps the leg. Yep. And it, it, like, you know, it got some flack for that. But you can see how, like, now we're in the Super Famicom. We're not even in the Super Famicom era. Like, this game was released in 99. It, yeah. It's probably, I'm reasonably certain it was the last officially licensed Nintendo game released for the console. The Nintendo 64 had already been out for three years. And then Thracia 76, uh, 776 comes out. But you can see how, like, you know, there's just more and the games get harder and harder and then eventually they have to dial it back a bit. You know, yeah. it's cyclical in nature. That's right. Because it was originally released as a po- Nintendo Power Flash cartridge. So you'd go to the store with one of your rewritable cartridges and they'd put this game on there. But then it later yeah. received an actual release. Yeah. And the actual release, man, let me tell you, like, I, I want it. Like, <laughs> have you seen have you seen the collector's box? It is bonkers, man. Like, they released the collector's edition of this game. It has, like, two plushies, some cards. And it has a... Yeah, and it has a VHS tape with background on the story. (laughs) Uh, No, no. Um, It's it's background story specifically for the game. And... uh, Which amuses me because, like, I saw that and I was like, so cool. Um, But when Final Fantasy XV did it, I was like, this is bullshit. (laughs) You know, I I should be able to understand this story without having to watch a movie. Yeah. so and then I was oh, like, how yeah, times okay. have changed. Yeah, a bit of a hypocrite there. Um, expensive though, man. It was Ugh. like when I was looking at it on eBay, it's like four hundred dollars Canadian. Jesus. So you know that's like it's like three McDonald's meals <laughs> meals in American money. <laughs> expensive. I think I think the Canadian money, like the Canadian currency transfer, is my favorite running gag of this podcast. <laughs> It's the only way that I can make a very depressing thing more fun. <laughs> At least your money is colorful and enjoyable. Oh yeah, yeah, just like just like Canadians themselves. <laughs> that's a anyhow. Very, that's a very apt metaphor. I I think I like that one. <laughs> so um, yeah, Thracia seven seven six. Like that's that's the last one, and then yep. Kaga moved on, and I'm reasonably certain, just based on interviews and so on, that he moved on because. 
they were working and it was officially announced fire emblem 64 you know that was a thing that was going to happen and uh, it ended up just failing and never launching can i just say uh, really quickly what is it about the nintendo 64 and just having like and i'm i'm specifically thinking of mother 64 just like having these games that like looked really cool at the time when they were developing and then sort of moving migrating those series to the game boy advance yeah i'll tell you why it's because Look, some people are going to be upset with me, but it's because the Nintendo 64 was a giant piece of crap. Is is really <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Like you had a system that was capable of, you know, uh, like I'm going to say good graphics, although yeah. you know, there's there's problems with the haze and fuzz in those games. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you have a cartridge medium that just cannot handle the scope of the modern RPG at the time. Yeah. There just wasn't enough storage space. And allegedly, this is what happened to Fire Emblem 64. Kaga's working on 64, and he's like, look, Nintendo, your system sucks. Like, I can't <laughs> I can't make this game for it. And Nintendo was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just release Thracia, and then you'll be on your way because you failed. That's... Is, is really what it came down to. Yeah. And Which then they is... sued his ass. And uh, yeah. I was going to say, now I think it makes a little more sense why Tear Ring Saga maybe was so similar to Fire Emblem. Maybe he was trying to do what he couldn't do on the Nintendo 64 on the PlayStation. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as Final Fantasy VII, right? Like, Final Fantasy VII was originally... Like, they had the tech demo and everything, right? It was originally supposed to be an N64 game. That's right. And and Square was like, look, we need more space. These cartridges aren't cutting it. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Sony came along and was like, hey, we have all the space you need. <laughs> I and respect Squaresoft you. said, peace out to Nintendo. That was it. I know. I, I respect you for not qualifying your statement as the Nintendo 64 DD was a total piece of crap. Um, the DD, I mean, look, too little too late, right? Like, yeah. you, you want to move Fire Emblem 64 to the DD. That's all well and good. But the disk system, obviously too little too late. Yeah. Like, you know, you have a cartridge-based system. You can't. You just can't save it with an add-on. It's just not. It's not happening. Like, look at yeah. the look at the Sega CD, for example. Right? Not the most successful. You know, not the most successful console. I'm sure people remember it fondly. Mm-hmm. You know, there. But like Sewer Shark, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think people. Anyway. I think people try to remember Snatcher, Popful Mail, <laughs> rather than Sewer Shark. Yeah. Exactly. But you can't um, ignore that Sewer Shark happened. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, basically what they did was they they booted Kaga or Kaga left. Yeah. And then they took all everything they made with sixty four and converted it to the Binding Blade on the Game Boy Advance. That's right, and that's the next entry um, on our thing. And an hour and ten minutes into this podcast, we're finally getting to the last Japanese exclusive game, Fire Emblem: The Binding Blade. Uh, released in 2002, so there was a bit of a... Well, I guess not, because if Thracia was 2000, the break sort of explains itself with 64. Um, But Binding Blade, first title to appear on a handheld console, which is insane to me, because I've always thought of Fire Emblem as a handheld franchise, but when you look at the history, you see that, no, it's the other way around. Um, Yeah. It was a 
console franchise first and foremost, which is kind of exactly what happened to Advance Wars. And I'm sorry to bring that back around again, but it's pretty much the same arc. You know, Famicom Wars, Super Famicom Wars were all console games. And then eventually it came to the GBA as Advance Wars. There had been a Game Boy Advance Wars, but that was sort of not the main thing they were pushing. Um, but no. So it comes to the GBA, uh, directed, uh, no, produced by Toru Narihiro. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And this is the first appearance of Roy. So. You know, I'm not talking about the appearances of different characters except for the big ones. So, Marth, Roy, and we'll see Ike a little bit later. Um, yeah. I think the main the main thing we can get from the GBA games, the, the biggest thing we can take from them, and we don't have to go into mm-hmm. detail on all of them, but the biggest thing we can take away from the GBA games is that this is where the series started in the US. Yeah. And it's funny because when we did our Advance Wars episode... I think we might have cut this out of the final episode, but mm-hmm. you and I had a discussion on the effect of Super Smash Brothers Melee on yep. how popular, you know, Fire Emblem, like on Nintendo's decision to bring Fire Emblem out to the West. Yeah. And I just kind of like, you you brought it up and I just kind of pooped all over you. Like, you know, I was, I just kind of like patted your head and I was like, oh, Arne, you try so hard, <laughs> but that's not even, <laughs> that's not why it was released in the West. No, it's it's actually a big reason, man. Uh, yep. Super Smash Brothers Melee for the GameCube had Marth and Roy, and players just really liked Marth and Roy. Yep. And, and credit so to credit to Sakurai, he had wanted to include Marth since the original Super Smash Brothers, apparently. And yeah. Nintendo was was playing the Paul in that situation and just patted <laughs> his head and was like, "Nah, nah, son." Um, but eventually they relented by essentially what they did is they didn't remove Marth and Roy from the Japanese release, which I think was the original plan. And they were like, okay, we'll keep these two weirdos in here. And then people fell in love with those two weirdos. And that's how we sort of move on to Fire Emblem. Um, yeah. it's known as the Blazing Blade, uh, in Japan, but in a, in everywhere outside of Japan, just Fire Emblem. Uh, 2003 in Japan and the US, Australia got it in 2004, and Europe also got it later in 2004. This is strange to me, because this game is a prequel to The Binding Blade, but Binding Blade was never released outside of Japan, so I I, I don't know. I've, I've never played this one personally, but I would think the story is a little weird, Um, you know, it's, just uh, sort of jumping in that way. No, I, I played it. It's mm-hmm. I had no idea at okay. the time. Like I played this one. It was just called Fire Emblem. I was really excited because I knew for a long time that Fire Emblem was a thing that existed on the Super Famicom, and we just never got it here. It was like my it was like my video game White Whale. Oh wow! And yeah, and so it came out on the Game Boy Advance, and I was I was super hyped for it. Mm-hmm. And it's good, you know. It's uh, it's good. The the thing is that like. You've seen the Super Famicom ones, and it's like, oh, this it looks a little bit kind of toned down. So I thought it was a good game, yeah. um, but I actually never ended up buying the sequel, um, which is the Sacred Stones. That was just released a year later, yep. and it kind of follows the whole Advance Wars thing, which is, you know, they were using a lot of the artifacts and elements. Mm-hmm. So Binding Blades development took a very long time you know yes. like we said it started at 64 but then sacred stones bang like they release it a year later yep 
And, and it's it's very much like Black Hole Rising, Advance Wars Black Hole Rising, yeah. that is. And here's the thing is, the last thing I want to say about, because I, I think of Fire Emblem and Sacred Stones as sort of a pair. So I like to talk about them together. Um, Yuka Shuyoko, uh, her last Fire Emblem game, well, not her last, but the last game that she was a composer on for Fire Emblem was... Um, uh, Blazing Blade or Fire Emblem. So she's the last of the original team to leave. So past this point, you get all new people. Nobody from the original Fire Emblem team is left, which is sad. But like I said, I think this is the point where you sort of start seeing how Fire Emblem sort of contracts and then expands to become like the behemoth it is today. Yeah. Um, both yeah, of the contraction, the, hmm? like, sorry to interrupt you, but like, no, no. The, con- the contraction was you know, really with the 64. Like, that almost killed the series. And if Nintendo didn't have a successful handheld, we would have never seen Fire Emblem again. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Like, this was... This might have been its lowest point, other than perhaps the point before Awakening. Yeah. And we almost didn't see it again. I know. And here's the thing. Sacred Stones and Fire Emblem did very well internationally, critically and commercially. We've already talked about how Super Smash Brothers was one of the things that did it. But the other thing, Paul, do you know what it was? Go ahead, Ernie. It was a little plucky game known as Advance Wars. What? I didn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Because Advance Wars sort of showed Nintendo like, no, people outside of Japan do like strategy RPGs and they can work. And so that sort of motivated them to be like, well, if Advance Wars can work, Fire Emblem can definitely work because they were around this time, like RPGs were established now in, in America or sorry, outside of Japan. And they had been for a while. So I, I can only imagine that the idea of having a advanced wars like game with RPG elements, they were like, this is going to be money in the bank. And it was. (laughs) Um, Yeah, pretty much like, it's it's hilarious like you know for the players who love fire emblem and Mm -hmm. enjoy it now it's so bizarre but you thank super smash brothers and advance wars for for ultimately for bringing it over that's right um yeah really a really cool little thing and ultimately advance wars is the one that kind of lost in the end but we've mentioned that's like the 20th time (laughs) we've mentioned that now just cannot hide it'll never get hide the disappointment um (laughs) But anyhow, we should probably take a break, Arnie. Yeah, we will be taking a break and we'll be coming back with, you know, the latter half of the history of Fire Emblem. So stay tuned for that. back folks um so now we sort of move into they were on console they were on handhelds now they're back on consoles baby fire emblem can't make up its mind about where it wants to be um (laughs) but so here we see path of radiance it's the gamecube release for fire emblem the only gamecube release for fire emblem uh released in japan in april 20th nice of course. Of 2005. Of 
and internationally, you know, for the rest of 2005 in various stages. Um, is the first home console released since Stratia 776. And I gotta say, you know, I, I had said before, like, I think of Fire Emblem as a, uh, handheld series. And I think part of that is because I just enjoy these types of games on handheld consoles more. Like, I think they lend themselves more to being sort of an on the go thing. Yeah. And funnily enough, the, the producers of Fire Emblem disagree with you. They've always kind of seen it as a console game, mm-hmm. but you know, up and up, you know, after the Super Famicom era, definitely the most success was seen on handheld consoles. Yeah. And I could not disagree with them more. And I think that they should take my <laughs> advice as somebody who's never made a game in their entire life. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is the first entry to feature feet, feature. That's a hard word. Um, 3D graphics. <laughs> <It's> two syllables. <laughs> Stop it, Paul. Uh, this is the first game to feature 3D graphics, full motion cutscenes, and voice acting. Uh, not counting the Satellaview uh, entry, but that was sort of streamed alongside the game. This is integrated into it. Um, the transition to 3D was difficult for the development team, apparently. They had a really hard time um, sort of making this a 3D game. And knowing the history of the 64 development, that is not surprising, right? Like, no. it just seems like for some reason, the aspects of Fire Emblem were really hard to initially move into that 3D era. Um, and, you know, I've heard people say, like, this game was criticized for not looking good or being ugly. I kind of disagree. Um, based on, on what I've seen and what I've played, like, I, I dug the look. You know, Me it's too. not great, but it doesn't look terrible. No, it's, you have to think of the time that it was released, right? Because games of this era, mm-hmm. you know, the polygon graphics still weren't quite there. Yeah. Like we were starting, what they really should have done with this game was find a way to make it cell shaded. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously that wasn't something they thought of cause it wasn't released that way, but you yeah. have these kind of anime inspired games. And then you have these kind of unattractive polygonal models right Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of games from this era even after the ps1 era the ps2 era looked way better yeah the games are are playable now in retrospect Mm -hmm. but you know they still don't look super great yeah so i think that's that might be people's issue with the graphics here yeah Um, they might they might be a little bit bland and so on and so forth but you know, for the time, I think they actually look pretty good. Yeah. I would have no issue playing it now. The cutscenes look great. Yes. So, you know. I mean, that's that's what it is. Like, you're 100% right. Like, this transition was just hard, not just on Fire Emblem, but on a lot of series. And I think this might be oversimplifying, but I think, like, the last, I want to say, like, 15 to 20 years of game evolution... I feel like has been trying to make the in-game graphics look as good as the cutscene graphics, like have that transition not be like insanely jarring. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, no, absolutely. And I mean, we're now living in an era where they've largely succeeded with that, right? Yeah. Um, aside from this being the introduction of Ike, who I consider Mark, Roy, and Ike to be like the three big Fire Emblem protagonists until Awakening. Um you know, this game generally received very well. 
though the sales were not as good as previous entries that in, during their international release um this game i think you know now is incredibly sought after i think it's like approaching if not already in that hundred dollar range um, oh it's there for oh, what yeah. You, yeah for what you're getting so people have really like even though at release it didn't sell very well, this is one of those games that people are now going back to and being like, this is a, a GameCube gem and we need to have it. Um, yeah, pretty much. Especially I mean, with the mm-hmm. overall popularity of Fire Emblem skyrocketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes it pretty highly sought after. But yeah, it is one of... It is the third worst selling Fire Emblem game in the entire series. Like Oof. You can see this console generation or generations, because the next one's on the Wii. Mm-hmm. But you can see this particular console generation was not kind uh, to Fire Emblem. Yeah. And I wonder, and this is just a quick aside, but I wonder, because I feel like a lot of the times those sorts of things, like declining sales numbers, are put on the games themselves. But you got to think, like, the GameCube was not commercially successful as a console. So obviously the games aren't going to sell as much as the GBA games because the GBA was insanely popular. Oh no. So, the install base was like seven, eight times more yeah. than the GameCube. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the decline that we see in some of these sales numbers. And I mean, my point is going to be immediately countered by the next game. Yeah, um, exactly. Are, are sort of, I think to a certain degree also fall on the shoulders of, of just the GameCube not being successful. But then we get Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn released on the Wii, which is the second most successful console ever released. Um, and this one also didn't sell well. So what the hell do I know? Um, but you know, yeah. the Wii is, the Wii is such an interesting console because yes. I think, I think what you've got with the Wii is you have this huge install base mm-hmm. of people who, would not like a Fire Emblem game. Fire Emblem game. game, yep. You know, like, they <laughs> they played Wii Sports. The system is cheaper than the... Like, by far cheaper than the PS3, mm-hmm. uh, which was the main... Com- and the Xbox 360, which yeah. were the main competition at the time. So you have this huge install base of mom, dad, and young children. And Fire Emblem is just... It's just not for them, right? Yeah. So the Wii is still an install base that's like five times larger. And you would expect just based on those numbers, I guess if you're an optimist that Radiant Dawn would sell five times as much Mm -hmm. as, uh, as path of radiance, but no, it actually sold less than path of radiance. So now I got to know because I don't know if it's coming up or not, but if, if path of radiance is the third worst and Radiant Dawn is the second worst, what is the worst selling fire emblem game? Great question. I actually never looked up the answer to that. Um, I will. We'll <laughs> cut this the out show, of the podcast. <laughs> just because now I can't let it go. Okay. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll find out in a second. But, you know, and this Radiant Dawn, you know, Path of Radiance, we're really kind of starting to see the death spiral of the series. Yeah. Like the other issue too is that the GBA, you have a development team of like, what, 40 people at the most? Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be that many. But when you go to console and you need far more staff to work on graphics and sound and all oh, that yeah. stuff, you know, the staff for Radiant Dawn was like 200 people. Yep. That's huge. And half huge. of them, apparently half of the, almost half of the staff was working on just the cutscenes. Yeah. And rightfully so, dude. They look really good. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but I mean, even a hundred people is still probably over twice as much oh, as yeah. your average Game Boy game. So like, you know, even if Radiant Dawn and Path of Radiance sell the same amount of units, you know, it's still borderline unprofitable oh, yeah. for Nintendo. Like it's, it's starting to become a risky franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and here's the thing within all of this is that these games were still critically were still doing well you know eights and like, nines eights yeah. and nines across the board absolutely there's, there's not throughout the history of the franchise there really isn't a fire emblem game that critically did terribly like some of them had mixed responses but overall like the series is known for being a quality series and being games that like people put time and a lot of effort to to make very good which in yeah. a genre like strategy rpg i think is extremely important because you're sinking so much time and so much investment into these games and these characters and doing all these missions that it has to sort of it has to be you know be that good or people will just drop it immediately yeah exactly yeah 100 percent, dude like I think when you start seeing complaints about Fire Emblem, you'll start seeing complaints about certain aspects of the games. Yeah. And you'll also start seeing that when there are complaints, it kind of comes into step at the same time as the internet era mm-hmm. coming up. You know, in, in the Super Famicom, Super Nintendo era, we don't have internet and the people who complain just aren't as loud. Yeah. You know, like all you've got is magazines and the critics love it and we're good to go. But once, you know, you start having that really vocal minority and giving them a voice like, oh, we don't like this about Fire Emblem. Oh, we don't like, you know, lack of relationships. Yep. Uh, Man, I'm so disdainful of message boards. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, that's when you start seeing stuff like, oh, people complained about this and people complained about that. You know, it's just part and parcel with the era. It doesn't mean that basically what I'm saying is that it doesn't mean the games are bad. No. The games were still excellent. Path yeah. of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, very well reviewed, excellent games. But uh, yeah, just for whatever reason, just didn't sell. Yeah. And here's the other thing is they make up both of these games are sort of they're tied to each other it, like incredibly so because they're a duology like Radiant Dawn is direct sequel to Path of Radiance, which wasn't really that common for this series so i think that the people who did play these games like the people who did play path of radiance and radiant dawn really like like really love these games because it's sort of a story that they followed from one console to the next and like we've talked about before like when you play these games you get so invested in the characters and the story so i feel like this is one of those games that you know, both of these are incredibly expensive now, not produced in high volume numbers, but the people that play them really, really, really like them. Yeah, and and rightfully so. Although, funnily enough, with Radiant Dawn, um, we mentioned eights and nines across the board. Oh, yeah. Radiant, Radiant Dawn, not quite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a weird, it's so bizarre, there's such a weird translation error, like a very simple translation error in Radiant Dawn that did not help it critically um like the reviews still very good overall yeah but as as anybody who's a veteran now of the fire emblem series knows the fire emblem series nowadays generally has three difficulty settings normal hard and lunatic Mm -hmm. radiant dawn mistranslated 
easy, normal, and hard. <laughs> oh man! So you have people, you know, and most people are going to start on normal. I would yeah. think. Um, I, I, that's what I was going to say. Is this is very applicable to me because I'm that guy. Like every RPG, every game I play, I'm normal. Normal. Yeah, all the and time. sometimes like. Sometimes I'll even go hard. Like yeah. if it's if it's a series that I'm familiar with, yes. right? Like Etrian Odyssey, for example, I don't play on normal anymore. Um, and same thing with Fire Emblem, like when I play it on the 3DS. But that's a whole other thing we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. But yeah, crazy. Like you read some of these reviews and people are like, this game's awesome. The story is great. <laughs> and holy shit, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it destroyed my will to live. But the story was delightful. Yeah, exactly. And the story is like, yeah, you know, you mentioned it's a direct sequel to Path of Radiance, but that whole part of it doesn't really take place until I think the third act, which yeah. is when Ike comes back. As yeah, a character. I think I think this was you're right. And I'm glad you pointed that out, because I think it's important to note, like Fire Emblem has been really good, I think, generally about being accessible to players at any point to jump in story-wise. Maybe not mechanically, but I think you could pick up any Fire Emblem game and play it and enjoy your experience. You know, like, obviously you benefit from playing more of them by learning more about characters and stuff, but... It's not a game where, like, you there's there's no required reading in Fire Emblem for the most part. Right, right. Yeah. No, good job, Intelligent Systems. Like, they've yeah. managed to do that thing where your your experience is enhanced by having played the previous games, but certainly is not necessary. They, they've straddled that line really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, um, so, that's pretty much, you know, like we were saying, the Path of Radiance or Radiant Dawn, excellent games, deserve to be played. Unfortunately, were not played very much. And saw declining sales. And that leads us to Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. This is my entry into Fire Emblem. So I I, I like Shadow Dragon. Shadow Dragon is, is cool. Um, especially because it is a remake of the first game. So it's a full remake of the first game. It came... It was released in 2008 um, pretty much everywhere. I mean, sorry. 2008 in Japan and Europe... And then 2009 in North America and Australia. So a real reversal of fortune there where Europe got a game before we did. Way to go, um, pal. Way to go, pal territory. You got that's one. That's right. And they got a good one. <laughs> um, they did. And here's the thing is remake of the original. Yuka Sujiyoko returns to supervise the soundtrack. So she makes her triumphant return for a game that I feel like must have been kind of special for her. Because it's a remake of the first game. So you're sort of returning to an old friend. I would like to, this is what I'd like to think it was like coming back to this. Um, and I gotta say, like, this was my entry into Fire Emblem and I really enjoyed this. Like, it has the benefit of, you know, implementing the mechanics that have sort of evolved thus far, but none of it feels overwhelming. And I think, I think, you know, when Nintendo first brought Fire Emblem to, you know, outside of Japan, they did a really good job of like implementing tutorials that weren't overly annoying, but were definitely incredibly helpful in like helping players figure all this out. Um, so yeah. if you knew, like if you had played any 
previous strategy RPGs, this wasn't super foreign to you and it wasn't overwhelming or scary because when I started playing this, like my past experience was advanced wars. That was it. And this was immediately super different. Like I talked about before, like I hadn't had to deal with permadeath. I hadn't had to deal with caring about characters, but shadow dragon does a really good job of like introducing all that in a really like fun, accessible way. Um, and really gets you like interested in fire emblem right away. So I, I have, I have mad props for this game. Yeah, I think it's an excellent remake. And, you know, with, with the Super Famicom games, for example, like there's mm-hmm. an aesthetic there where we talk about them. Yeah. And man, working on this show, look, I love the region free gamers podcast. <laughs> we, we work hard on it and I think we release a good show. I'm proud of it. It's a lot of fun. I hate the Region Free Gamers podcast because every time we research these games, I'm like, I want to own all of it. Yep. And, and my wallet is, is like, no, Paul, yep. don't. And I'm and like, Fire shut Emblem, up. Fire Emblem's really going to hurt you because this is also, again, extremely expensive now, um, especially See, for nice a DS thing, game. Yeah. For Nintendo DS game, it is pretty expensive. Um, I do have this one, so I'm, I'm thankful for yeah. that. But like the nice thing about Shadow Dragon is is that those 8-bit NES games, I have no interest now. Like most, I would say most 8-bit games, like, (laughs) you know, barring something like a Sweet Home or Mm -hmm. LaGrange Point or like even River City Ransom. Like I know a lot of people who discovered River City Ransom as adults. Like those games are still interesting where I I still want to play them. But for the most part, I just have no time for a new 8-bit game. Yeah. But... 16 bit that aesthetic you know and and there's just enough complexity now to those games where i could go back and play them but shadow dragon now i don't have to go back to the 8 bit at all that's right if i want to play the og fire emblem and props to intelligence systems for including the guidance scenarios in there as well yep it's really just a you know it's just a complete product yep um yeah it's, i have uh, i have all day for it it's one of these one of these releases that sort of i think accentuates like why remakes are like are a thing that should happen sometimes because this makes it so you like you said you just don't have to go back and it includes more things that previously weren't available and just puts it all in like one easy package and you know this is like if you hand somebody this it's like this is what this is all you need like go play it you know don't worry about anything else in the series like here you go here's a starting point go and fire emblem has always been really good about that better than advanced wars has been even though advanced wars like the focus on story isn't there um so you could jump into any advanced wars but i feel like there's a more direct progression there where like you benefit from playing Advance Wars 1 before playing 2 before playing Dual Strike. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in Fire Emblem it's like jump in, have a great time. The only the only knock on Shadow Dragon and to be fair it is you know a reason I make fun of I make fun of the message board people. Yeah. But Shadow Dragon no relationship system. No. Nope. In it. And that that really annoyed a lot of people. And oh, I think I might I think I might agree with those see, with the angry nerds. See, here's the thing: is to me, I'm 
like I, I get that that's like a huge Fire Emblem thing. I'm not a huge like guy into that system. Like I think it's cool and I think it's executed very well when they do it, but I, I don't need it, which is surprising because I'm a huge like like that sort of dating sim aspect. Like when it works for me, it really works for me. But in my strategy RPGs, I'm like, I got enough shit to worry about with like equipping things and leveling people up and classes. I, I, I don't need to like read through a novel's worth of text exchanges between <laughs> all these characters. <laughs> all right. So in summary, before we take our break, what I've yep. learned, Arnie just likes to kill. He doesn't like relationships. <laughs> Good to go. Arnie, are we good for a break here? <laughs> I think we are good for a break. Um, All right, when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna start with the awakening of Fire Emblem. It's gonna right. be awesome. Oh, I see what you did there. everyone and we're back and a couple things actually before we move on to awakening which is what everybody's been waiting for um we mentioned the worst selling game in the series i can't believe that i forgot it was thracia 776 you know for a game released only in japan in (laughs) 19 like in the year 2000 for a system that was like what nine ten years old yep those late era games i mean there's a reason they're expensive as they are uh, so Thracia 776, the uh, the worst selling game in the series. And uh, we can't forget as well, after Shadow Dragon, uh, for the Nintendo DS, Japan only new mystery of the emblem, basically a remake of the Super Famicom game. Fan translations are out there. You can patch it. Um, so if you're interested in playing the Super Famicom mystery of the emblem, maybe the DS one is the way to go. It's tough the to DS say. One, I think. Uh, I think. I think the DS one is definitely the way to go. Like we touched on it briefly when we were actually talking about Mystery of the Emblem, about how angry it made me that it's been <laughs> released so many fucking times. Um, yeah. But yeah, it looks like it looks like to me like New Mystery of the Emblem is sort of the Shadow Dragon equivalent um, for Mystery of the Emblem. So yeah. I think that that's the way to go if you want to play it with like everything included and like you know all the content you can handle um and i think that's the one that includes the satellaview content as well for bs fire emblem so yes correct go play that one by the way i can't look at bs fire emblem (laughs) without thinking it's bullshit fire emblem yes i I every every time i see that in the outline i'm like haha bullshit fire emblem (laughs) we are we are children paul oh my god i'm like 40 going on eight it's ridiculous (laughs) Listen, Um, (laughs) I'm not going to pretend this wasn't the episode where I made two 420 jokes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're already going off the rails here. Yeah. Fire Emblem Awakening. This is this is kind of the big one, right? Like I'm assuming, you know, that you've inserted some sort of sweeping score behind you as you say that. (laughs) God damn it, dude. You keep giving me more editing work. Like, you're always the one who brings up adding music, and I'm like, (laughs) son of a bitch, Arnie, like, you're not doing any of this editing. (laughs) Um, But anyhow, Awakening. So, 
Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and then New Mystery of the Emblem. Sales-wise, again, kind of underwhelming. We're yep. talking about sales numbers very similar to the DS uh, versions of Advance Wars. Yeah. So, you know, not terrible. Actually, no, Dual Strike was just outright terrible yeah. uh, as far as the numbers are concerned. But Shadow Dragon and New Mystery of the Emblem, like, Intelligent Systems is like, man, what are we doing wrong here, right? Like, these games, yeah. they're... You know, there's definitely a fan base for them, but we can't seem to crack the code. Yeah. And at this time, Nintendo's running out of patience, and Nintendo comes to Intelligence Systems and says, "Okay, guys, you've got one more. Wrap it up, right? This is this is going to be the last Fire Emblem game, whether it's a success or whether it's a failure. But we need you guys to try your best, Gambate Intelligence Systems, <laughs> and and do your best and release the best possible Fire Emblem game that you can. Arnie, holy shit, they sure did, didn't they? I mean, the sales goal that apparently Nintendo set was 250,000 units. Less oh. than that, you're done. More than that, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure they, they didn't promise it. them anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they crushed it. Like, this game... So this game was released in Japan on April 19th of 2012. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Not um, nice. Not who, nice. Who's showing up early for Stoner Day, honestly? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it's released in North America. It, it's released in the West, North America, Europe, Australia yeah. in 2013. Um, and again, uh, like we said, you know, sales numbers just like absolutely crushed it. We're talking over 2 million units uh, worldwide <sighs> for Jesus. a game that... And to be fair, the Japanese sales target was 250,000 Japan mm. only, um, not necessarily worldwide. Oh, gotcha. That would have been a very modest yeah. uh, number for, you know, worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. But even still, they crushed it yeah. in Japan, and then it was released in the West. And I think what ended up happening was, you know, because they crushed it in Japan, Nintendo's like, wow, we have, we have something here. And yeah. then they promoted the crap out of it in the West. Now, and let me ask you yeah, this, there Paul. there you go, right? Let me ask you this, because I'm curious about this. This game was released fairly close to the 3DS launch, or no? You know what? I'll, man, why are you asking me questions <laughs> that I'm unprepared for? Well, the reason What am I, a ask, politician? <laughs> the, reason, <laughs> the reason that I ask is because um, I picked this up when I first bought my 3DS. Um, this will give you a little bit more insight about the kind of person I am. I bought a 3DS, and then the two games that I bought with it were Fire Emblem Awakening and Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked. Um, so there was a theme. Yes. I was not, I was not <laughs> part of those declining sales. I was all in on <laughs> turn-based strategy RPGs. But the reason that I, that I wonder that is because I remember when, when I bought both of them, I was like, these are the two, like of all the games I saw on the shelf, I was like, these are the two like really big games. You know, obviously you have like, I'm sure there was like a Mario and the Luigi's Mansion, I think was fairly close to launch as well. Um, but those were the two games that I was like, these look like, big budget like the the games that i want to play you know yeah so i wonder if you know obviously awakening is it at least to me incredible game but it looks yes. it, it, like even the look of it on the shelf 
was just like immediately jumps out at you. And I'm wondering if that's part of, partly because yeah. it was released closer to when the library wasn't as robust as it is now. That's that's definitely a possibility. It was mm-hmm. now that I've actually been looking at it. Um, it was released a year, roughly a year okay. after the 3DS launch. So, you know, still a fairly early cycle game. Yeah. But and and that's probably a reason. But like, honestly, I think the reason for the success is just they they took every single aspect of Fire Emblem and made it either a little bit better or a mm. lot better. Like, yeah. this is the one where they had the master plan and it just came together perfectly. They have new art direction, which I think is a huge deal because that Fire Emblem oh, yeah. Awakening and then Fates and so on, the artwork is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Toshiyuki, Kusakihara, and Yusuke Kozaki. Yusuke Kozaki is the main guy, the main character mm-hmm. designer responsible for, you know, for that art, for that feel that Awakening has. And, you know, just a little bit more appealing, right? Like the characters, yeah. you know, they have like a little bit more of an Asian tinge to them, less cartoony, but still, you know, look great. Yeah. You know, they have virtually every system that matters from previous Fire Emblem games brought in, right? They have mm-hmm. the weapons triangle. They have, you know, the huge maps. You have the relationships, like the side story kind of interactions between the characters and between missions. Yeah. You know, the characters are all colorful and well thought out, charmingly written. You know, like I look at a I look at a character like Kellum, mm-hmm. you know, the big tank dude. <laughs> yeah. That guy is begging to be boring. Begging yeah, to be boring. Absolutely. And in Fire Emblem Awakening, they make him super charming, you know, with yep. his whole like sneaking up on people and like, oh my God, it's Kellum. <laughs> like, you know, just they really did well. Like the first Fire, I'm not going to say it's the first Fire Emblem with voice, but they did a really cool thing with the voice because this game has so much text. Oh, yeah. If you fully voice all the text in this game, I finished Awakening mm-hmm. in about 40 hours. Roughly. If this game was fully voiced, we're talking like persona levels now. Oh, yeah. It would have been easily like about 100 hours. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what they did in Awakening is they did this cool thing where you have kind of voice bites. So you have like a dialogue box. And sometimes the dialogue box is accompanied by a small voice bite from the character. They say like Mm -hmm. a couple of words from the dialogue or they make a noise like Donald. Oh my God. <laughs> Donald's like every once in a while, Donald goes, Hee-hoo-wee. and it's just <laughs> like, it's hilarious. He's got this hick voice. It's, it's adorable. So yeah, you know, there's so many um, little things that they did for this one. Hmm. You were going to say, well, yeah, I was going to say like exactly what you're saying is, you know, I, I Shadow Dragon was my entry point, and I really like that game. But Awakening really just gives each and every character just such a distinct personality, and they're sort of their own unique character. You know what I mean? Like, there's no confusing. Like, by the time you're really invested in this game, you'll never confuse two characters, even if their sprites look slightly similar like you'll know what makes each of these characters that character and i kind of hate it because it makes the permadeath so much worse yeah 
I, I have to admit, when I first played this game, I did have the permadeath turned on. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a controversial thing. We're going to have casual mode instead of permadeath. Yep. Not the first time uh, Intelligent Systems did that with Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. But look, let's not kid ourselves. You have to have casual mode in these yeah. games, right? Like, you're going to turn off a whole bunch of potential customers. And I just, like, I don't get it, dude. I don't get why people complain about taking permadeath out. Because you have the option there. Yeah. If you want it, play it, right? Like, what's what's the big deal? But yeah, I digress. I, I agree with you. Like, I think you you need to have some sort of mode without permadeath because it's not like permadeath is the norm for these types of games either. You know, like some games do implement yeah. it, yeah. but a lot of games don't. So even if somebody is a fan of this genre of game, if they're not used to that aspect of it, it can be really, really intimidating. And the fact that, like, you know, you you always have the option to reload. And some games I know, like, I think Radiant Dawn even included, like, a quick save system. So you can save, like, during battles and stuff. But when you have a character that dies and you've put so much time, effort into developing them, leveling them, equipping them, and then late game they just die, like... And you're, I don't know, two hours into a mission, you don't, like, having to turn that game off to reload and having to do all that again. Like, I can't tell you how many strategy RPGs I've played up until pretty much the last mission. And then, like, I just can't beat it or one of my characters dies and I have to restart and I just never turn that game on again. Yeah, I think you need to believe in yourself, Arnie. You can you can do this. <laughs> I no, need to stop being such a scrub and just do it. You're just right. Just get good. Just get good. Um, and conversely, like with permadeath, mm-hmm. you have Ozzy's experience, right? Because Ozzy played this game a while ago. He loved it. Yeah. But early early in the game, there's the mission where you rescue Donald. Yep. And he wasn't able to, and Donald died. That happened. And to me. then it happened to you too. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. So you guys missed out on this character who is hilarious. Oh, no, I, like re- I restarted. Like, okay, good, good, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, he's wearing a pot. He's got a pot on his head. Like, yep. come on. He's um, the best. Yeah, and so Ozzy kind of unfortunately missed out on, on the Donald experience, which yeah. is, you know, kind of central to Fire Emblem Awakening as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, this game was actually codenamed Fire Emblem Finn, um, yep. knowing that it was going to be the last one. But they didn't share that code name with the public. Yeah. And uh, when it did come time to choose a new title for the game, uh, they gave it something that was almost completely opposite, which was yeah. Fire Emblem Awakening, which was really cool. Um, you know, kind of pushing the point home that this is a borderline, borderline reimagining of the series, but really they're just kind of including everything. Yeah. It's a, it's a remarkable remarkable achievement that they were able to basically resurrect this franchise with one game yeah i mean what do you think like what do you think is is the main factor that made it so popular like is this is it a system is it the design you know personally and this is gonna i i I feel like this is gonna be a cop-out answer um but i don't think there is just the one thing i think that you know obviously it's just a, a really good game. And I'd like to think that people just recognize quality when they see it. Because to me, like like I said before, yeah. this game, and, and you mentioned this too, the art for this game is 
just amazing. Like when you when you put this game Beautiful. on a shelf, it just jumps out at you. Like I could not help but be like immediately drawn to this game, even though I hadn't played a Fire Emblem game for years. I was like, I need this game. Um, and then once you get into it, like once it sort of gets you to open the door, it just like busts it wide open. And yeah. it, it does the thing that we've been talking about before. And I think we talk about this a lot on this show is that it took what was good about the older entries and it refined them to make them better. You had said before that it sort of takes so many different systems from all, you know, these different games. It was kind of meant to be the ultimate Fire Emblem. Really was. And it succeeded in that because it's not only that it has all these systems, but they're integrated seamlessly. Like they're very, they're very intuitive and they're very fun. And I think that's the most important thing is that when you have a game like this, that could easily, I feel like in the wrong hands, this game could have been a disaster because I feel like this game could have easily been overly complicated, kind of muddled and, you know, like with a story like this complex that involves time travel and generations and, you know, all this insane shit. Like, I feel like if intelligent systems didn't do things just right, this game could have been horrible. But it they managed been. to they managed to find that balance, and I think that's what ultimately makes this like such a good game. That I agree. Whether you're a veteran of the series from the first game or you're just coming into Fire Emblem right now, this game is easily accessible, and you know is easily understandable, and is easily you're you're able to pick it up and play it and feel good about what you're doing right away. Yeah. And it's and it should be noted like it was really close to not mm-hmm. being the kind of game that it is. Like yeah. you had after Radiant Dawn, you had Intelligent Systems working on a new Fire Emblem game. Um they had I think they had design documents. I don't think they ever got to a tech demo, but like the next Fire Emblem game after Radiant Dawn on the Wii was going to be a straight up RPG. <sighs> you know, they they were they were actually working on this for quite a while. Uh, eventually, it did get canceled. Yeah. You know, possibly has to do with Radiant Dawn's numbers. Who knows, yeah, right? I but think. when they were talking about Awakening, everything was on the table, right? Yeah. And the fact that they kind of kept it classic, but included everything they possibly could. I think it's safe to say that was the right choice. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm glad we agree, and I'm glad that the the two million units and hundreds of thousands of DLC units agree with us as well. <laughs> exactly. Like that's the thing is it's always it's always fun to talk about these games, but at the end of the day, it's like what can you really say? You know, like obviously the game's not perfect. Personally, there are things in it that I might not enjoy as much as other people, but like overall as a package, it's just a good game. Absolutely, man. Like, like you said, not perfect. I think the story is a little bit disjointed. It's yeah. really kind of rescued by the characters that are really cool. Um, but anyway, we're not gonna we're not gonna start <laughs> picking apart Awakening. Great game. If you haven't played it, go play it. Super play charming. It. And you know, it's it's seven years old now, so I think we're starting to kind of reach the point where we can call it iconic. You know, without sounding too, yep. you know, hyperbolic. Anyway, mm-hmm. moving on. Fire Emblem Fates. So, like you said, Arnie, 
Awakening was supposed to be the last one, no matter what. Or maybe I said that. One of us said it. Who cares? And so Intelligent Systems was like, all right, sweet. You know, we're good here. And Nintendo was like, oh, not so fast, guys. We, we have ourselves a cash cow here. It's time to milk this thing. We want you, Intelligent Systems, to bring us a bigger, better, and excellent selling Fire Emblem game. Isn't that just the fucking way when it's like, this is the last one. We're going to put literally everything we have into this game. We're going to destroy ourselves just to make the ultimate Fire Emblem experience so everybody is happy. And then it's like, yeah. oh, cool, it worked. Now we want you to do that again, but better. Yeah, no, that that's typical like corporate, you know, that that's everything. Oh, you met your quota? Haha, <laughs> here's a bigger one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... Uh, fate's a wildly ambitious project. Um, really, when you think about it, the scope is just, it's just ridiculous, right? Yeah. So Fire Emblem Fates to be released as three games with a story that runs concurrent with each other. Uh, Birthright follows the good kingdom of Hoshido. Conquest follows the bad kingdom of Nor. And then Revelation kind of ties both of them together. Um, this was released three years after Awakening, which, you know, kind of shows you how, you know, how deep the development cycle was. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, gameplay mechanics of Awakening Return, uh, nothing was taken out as far as I know. Which I think is interesting, like as a concept, just like, obviously the stories are going to be different, but having them sort of each be slightly their own thing, like they're not, equally hard they're not you know they sort of have their their particular quirks about them but also not making a distinction for people about which one's the hard one and which one's the easy one like i can imagine people picking up conquest and just being like what the fuck man like (laughs) you know oh yeah yeah no for sure man in any case for for fates again critically praised commercially very successful um similar sales numbers to awakening so the franchise is still strong um musically even they they're like you know what these 3ds games they're their own thing Mm -hmm. they brought in new staff to do the music the game has a theme song uh by hiroki morishita uh lost in thoughts all alone um anybody who's played the game knows exactly which one i'm talking about yeah i mean i i liked it because I think it sounds like cool ass RPG music, like the same way I like the Kingdom Hearts songs and <laughs> and the Persona songs. Like it's just it's just dope. Yeah, man, it really it really is right, and it's it's a fitting theme for the game. Yeah, um, this is the first Fire Emblem game, and I touched on this earlier, mm. where you are the main character, like yes. your your avatar is actually the character whom the entire story revolves around. Um, which is a very interesting thing. Obviously, you can pick male or female mm-hmm. as the uh, as the main character, which is awesome. Uh, again, critically successful. This one, though, perhaps the fans didn't like as much as Awakening. I tend to agree. The story is the story is a little bit weird yeah. um, because you have a good kingdom and an evil kingdom, and one character who kind of ties it all together Mm -hmm. the decisions that the characters make are a little bit 
just a little bit not quite there. Yeah. Um, there's a weird subplot, not subplot, but like the, there's a weird ancestral thing going on between <laughs> the main character in Conquest and Camilla, his older sister. Yes, I had but heard the, about this. Yeah, but like in the game, it's okay because they're not blood relatives. I don't know, man. It's it's a little weird. Like it's and spoiler alert for Game of Thrones fans here, but like <laughs> when Jon Snow found out Danny was his aunt, yeah, it's over, right? John <laughs> Jon Snow is like, all right, I'm out. You know, we can't we can't do this anymore. No, it was it was. But in Fire Emblem, it's like intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. More more Lannister than Stark is what we'll say oh, this uh, <laughs> this one is. <laughs> um, um, I will say of of fates like you touched on it too, and I think I I was not aware of this until I started doing research for this that this is like a more divisive game amongst the fan base. Um, yeah, but I think it makes sense. You know, I think that Fire Emblem has always been big on story, and the bigger and bolder you go the more likely it is that, you know, it's just not going to come together. But I like trying to tie together three separate games is, is something that I think was insanely ambitious to begin with. And the fact that they even slightly stuck the landing, I think earns high marks from me personally. (laughs) Yes. I, I agree with that. Like I might have issues with some parts of it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. They stuck the landing, you know, maybe a little bobble. Yeah. But they got it and they definitely deserve props for that. Very ambitious project. And, you know, I talk about the, you know, the fans, it being sort of a, a divisive game, but like mm-hmm. even in development, right? Yeah. This is the first Fire Emblem game where they have a team that is not necessarily working all together. Like the amount of people working on Fates compared to Awakening, gigantic, yep. hundreds. And they started siloing the people off. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have this, now it's not as pronounced, but you kind of have this Final Fantasy XV effect where the game feels just kind of a little bit disjointed. It doesn't feel quite as as cohesive as Awakening. At least that's what I found. And then in doing research for this episode, I'm like, all right, okay, yeah, this makes a little more sense now (laughs) in that. You have these you have these development units like the music unit and the art direction unit and mm-hmm. the gameplay unit and so on and so forth. And yeah, they're talking to each other, but once you start doing that, you know, you kind of run the risk of you know, certain scenarios feeling different than others and certain stories feeling different and and so on. And and that definitely happens here. And even you know, this was a tortured game as far as development is concerned, even though, like you said, they stuck the landing. Yeah. The other thing that divided them up, the fan service aspect. Um, oh, yeah. There were a lot of people in the development team who just were not a fan of people like boobs. Let's throw in more boobs. <laughs> oh, and hey, let's let's throw in a weird mini game where you rub the characters Ooh. on your, on your touchscreen, right? Like, I'm... I'm not going to lie, I'm glad they removed that from the Western versions. Yeah. Like, to me, it's just like, there are parts in Fates where, like, you add accessories to your characters and you dress them differently. Yeah. And you can strip them down to their underwear and, like, move the camera around. <laughs> okay. You can, you can just, you can just choose to ignore that, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's an accessory thing. It's not yes. really in the game. 
But I mean, when you have the when you have the relationship building, yeah, that's integral to the game. Yeah, when you sort of force stuff like that on players, it's a little dicier. Yeah, it's it's not not quite as not quite as great. Yeah. So you know that was another thing. I think I think the final product, and I mean, you kind of groaned when I said you know the rubbing game and yeah. and more and more boobs. If it was. You know, this was like the compromise, I think. They probably <laughs> even wanted more of that. So, yeah, you know, again, true. like torture development, the product we got in the end was pretty good. The other interesting thing about Fates, uh, lastly, is the castle. There's a, a My Castle yes. system in the game that they add to this one. And let me tell you, dude, My Castle, it adds so much more replay value to this game like whatever issues you might have with the story or you find Mm. it uninteresting you can just play my castle and you have online pvp by the way oh nice i tried i tried the online pvp once yeah dude i would have had an easier time dunking on fucking 2012 (laughs) lebron james than beating this guy in pvp the matchmaking in in Fire Emblem PvP, like, what are we doing here? I lasted like two seconds. Oh my god! And and I'm pretty sure the person I was playing against probably got annoyed that I didn't just quit. Yeah, I I forced them to like kill all my characters, <laughs> and I ran. I was so bitter. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's you know it's got it's got online PvP. You can visit other people's castles. Oh, nice. You can cultivate your castle. Okay. So that you grow fruits and vegetables and you mine different ores. And then with those ores, you can enhance your weapons or feed your army before a fight to give them bonuses. Oh, sweet. Really, so it, really so cool. It, so it adds all this stuff, but it's also like it has gameplay implications. Like if you want to dedicate yourself to doing that, then you get a, you get rewarded for it, basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like you halfway like halfway through the game, you could probably just drop the story altogether. Although I mean, you do get XP, but yeah, you can you can get you know what you can get DLC to get you know more XP and stuff like that. Okay. Um. But yeah, you can really just focus on my castle and collecting more skills for your characters by visiting other people, and it's really really cool and uh, borderline like very distracting. Actually, <laughs> it sounds like you basically dropped the story to play this. like side thing for hours yeah for like 10 hours at a time it was ridiculous (laughs) it added way more time uh to this game for me personally but in any case so yeah that's that's fire emblem fates in a nutshell a little bit of the development there and the reception and uh i don't know arnie i think we should take a break like do you want to is there anything else you wanted to add there nope i think i'm good All right, cool, man. Uh, So when we come back, we'll wrap it up with uh, Fire Emblem Echoes and Heroes and Three Houses. Sounds good. Alrighty, and we're back. And uh, wrapping up the series now. We've gone a little bit long. I don't know how we went long, Arnie. There's only 16 Fire Emblem <laughs> games. I mean, um, <laughs> you would think that the people that 
literally cannot talk about anything for less than two and a half hours would have reined it in for <laughs> one of the longest running strategy RPG series of all time. But you'd think, surprise, you'd think, surprise, here we are. Somehow, somehow <laughs> we've managed to go on for a little bit longer than we expected. Um, so we'll wrap it up. Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia released on the uh, 3DS. This is the last Fire Emblem game on the 3DS. Yep. This is basically, you know, a remake of Gaiden uh, for the uh, for the Famicom. Am I wrong here? No. And and this is what makes me th- these kinds of things like bring a smile to my face in that there must have been some board meeting where a bunch of really important people sat down and they were like, well, we now have an incredibly successful franchise that we've brought back from the dead. What do we do next? And they're like, yep. let's remake a 1992 Famicom game that is already considered to be the black sheep of the, of the series um, and release it. <laughs> but you know what, man? They did it. It, it's, did do it. it's successful, right? Like it's, I they mean, didn't, I was going to say they didn't just re-release Gaiden. Like they yeah. remade it. Oh, right. Yeah. Like all the, all the gameplay rebuilt from the ground up. They used the technology from Fates and Awakening. Yep. You know, Fates and Awakening, the incredible cutscenes, which I didn't even, I didn't even mention when we were mm-hmm. talking about those. Like those cutscenes were fantastic. You know, all that stuff is brought back for Echoes. And again, critical, commercial success fire emblem keeps on rolling yep um i've i've spoken with some people for them this is their favorite of the 3ds games well here's the thing um is that they they did something that i thought was it like brave really is that they released these two games beforehand incredibly successful then they released this and they completely eliminate the weapons triangle and the marriage system yeah. Which yeah. are like integral parts of Fire Emblem up to that point, but it made sense because because it was based on Gaiden and Gaiden didn't have those things. Integrating those mechanics into the story would have just changed way too much about the game, um, especially marriage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they did add the support system, but I feel like for people like if you're a person who really enjoys like that aspect of Fire Emblem, not having it here is probably a huge turnoff. That being said, like probably. I've found the same thing that you have is that this is generally regarded as the best 3DS Fire Emblem release. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the general regard. Yeah. Um. So moving on from Echoes. <laughs> Man, I hate to gloss over it, but boy, oh boy, did we ever we ever take our time with this one. <laughs> um, moving on from Echoes, I think a deserved shout out to Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, yeah. Intelligence Systems uh, mobile game based on the Fire Emblem franchise. I think it's a really cool game. I I only like downloaded it and played it briefly, but mm-hmm. very, very light on story and yeah. very, very heavy on just giving the people what they want, which is all the characters that you can fit from the Fire <laughs> Emblem series into a mobile game. And uh, I mean, I didn't get into it personally because it's a mobile game and, you know, there's going to be microtransactions yeah. and kind of randomized. Like you don't, when you get new characters, you don't necessarily always get the ones you want. Yep. Um, and I just, you know, I don't really have too much time for that myself. But as an exercise in expanding the franchise... 
very successful and just really cool to have a game where you can just have all the characters, yeah, I think. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. a lot of people that'd be their their dream scenario is just having, you know, a actual like fully fledged Fire Emblem game where you could just play as all the characters, which would be insane, but Intelligent Systems has done so many insane things up to this point that who the hell knows. Hey man, you get Masahiro Sakurai to work on that one. Because <laughs> And you finally... He's the master of bringing all the characters together, you know, Smash Bros. That poor man. uh, Maybe he can do the same thing for Smash... Or maybe he can do the same thing for strategy RPGs (laughs) that he did for for fighting games. (laughs) Fetch me my quill, Arnie. I'm going to write them a letter. (laughs) Get your raven out of the the lockbox. Anyhow, um, Fire Emblem Heroes, like I said, quick mention. Yep. Moving on, Three Houses, finally. This is the game that basically inspired us to do the episode um to be released july 2019 i like man i don't know have you seen very many previews for this game i am hyped for it i haven't watched a whole lot mostly because i don't want to get too hyped for it because i still don't own a switch and i feel like this game would tempt me to go out and buy one i probably will anyway um but what i have seen i'm gonna spam you with previews (laughs) what i have seen i'm i'm super excited for like i'm i'm hype yeah i like i really like the fact that You know, the one kind of incongruent thing about every Fire Emblem game to this point is that they are trying to depict these very large-scale conflicts, but it's just single commanders fighting each other. And it never, you know, thematically, it never quite made sense to me. Um, But Three Houses, you have, you know, commanders and battalions of units. And to me... This is always kind of, at least visually, this is always kind of the Fire Emblem game that I think I always wanted. Yeah. Now, when I say stuff like that, this is like hoping for a Raptors win. Again, I'm just setting myself <laughs> up for, for disappointment. Um, but with that said, you know, it. what can I say, dude? It looks really good. They've brought back a lot of the team uh, that worked on Fates and Awakening, specifically the art direction. Um, working with Koei actually uh, jointly on this one as well, which is a very interesting little quirk. Yeah. Uh, they also worked with Koei on the Fire Emblem Warriors series. That's right. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested to see what's going to happen with this one. I'm reasonably certain that this summer we're going to have a What Have You Been Playing episode, and I'm reasonably certain that we're going to talk about Three Houses <laughs> at that time. I mean, I would almost guarantee it. Um, yeah, like you said, like, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think the fact that you're finally going to get to see like a little more visual representation of these like gigantic conflicts that this series has, I feel like they've always wanted to do something like this because their stories are so epic in scope that for the visuals to finally match like their intentions with these games is going to be, I think, a sight to behold. I think so too. I think it's a very logical step for the series and i think the technology is there Mm -hmm. and uh oh man i hope it doesn't suck i really hope it doesn't suck (laughs) i'm also curious because you know i've i've already made my position clear that i i view fire emblem as a handheld franchise um and with the switch you obviously have that you know flexibility where you can play it on the go or you can play it at home but it's gonna be a return to console 
for the series pretty much since Radiant Dawn. Um, yeah. So I'm also interested to see, you know, if the if what was good and what people enjoyed about Fates and Awakening will still be enjoyable in Three Houses. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see that as well because you've got, like you said, you've got increased scope, so yep. maybe kind of storylines or, or relationships take a little bit of a backseat, but I think not. It appears that in the game you can. Uh, walk around an academy and talk to the characters and visit different locations and and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hope that they realize that that is kind of an integral part of the experience and that it's included. And uh, yeah, ordinarily, I'm not one to watch trailers uh, for movies or game, you know, demo gameplay for games. I like yeah. to kind of go into it, you know, untouched. Can't help myself, dude. Can't help myself for Fire Emblem. I'm I'm weak. I'm a weak man. It's just it's just too much, man. It's just too much. It's carrying the torch for the turn-based strategy RPGs. Like, it, I feel like it's I I have to, I have to guess it's the longest-running one at this point since Advance Wars has sort of gone away. Um, and it it's just it feels nice to see it still doing what it does. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of the legacy here is yeah you know it's the longest one it's Fire Emblem is now the torchbearer. Watching its development over the years and researching it, man, it's so cool seeing how we have like a couple times where it almost dies, and then you have these you know these people come together and they release great versions of a beloved franchise. I'm glad it's still here. Um, you know, I hope they don't beat it to death. <laughs> uh, but I'm still, but I'm still pretty glad it's here. Yeah, and uh, you know, props to Intelligent Systems yeah, for uh, I, for releasing a kick-ass series. Absolutely, and I think you know, seeing how the series has sort of ebbed and flowed, how it's evolved, you know, all the hardships that went into creating like the series that so many people love now. You know, it's so interesting to look back and see, you know. Like, it wasn't just a point A to point B for Fire Emblem, you know? There were... They took a lot of circuitous routes to get to where they are right now. And, like, understanding that and really diving into that is just so cool. And it it really has given me, like, a new appreciation for the series. Yeah, and for the anime. Yeah, oh, absolutely for the anime. Absolutely for the anime. That needs a remake (laughs) ASAP. I want somebody to pick that up. I want Netflix to pick it up and and go to town on it yeah for sure for sure (laughs) but keep keep the same dubbing keep the same dubbing. um i want (laughs) to ask you paul really quick before we close out and i think we've already answered this question but what is what is your favorite fire emblem game no uh, there's no question it's awakening right like see yeah it's gotta be same answer for you yeah yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) we're so fucking boring (laughs) (laughs) all right on that note this is the region free gamers podcast. We're so fucking boring. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, everybody, thanks again for listening. Yes. And uh, thanks for sticking with us. And hey, as always, you know, rating and review five stars yep. uh, really would help us out. It'd be awesome. Yep. And find uh, us on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. We can find us on Instagram at region free gamers podcast and on Twitter at region free gamer. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been fun. Thanks a lot, everyone. Have a good one.
I hit it! Doga, did you see that shot? You're still too slow. What did you say? I hit it on the mark! 